to get someone to read something, to get someone to order something, you've really got to kind of give them a problem that you can solve. Even if the problem is not having the thing that you've got for them or the problem is not earning enough money, you've really got to do that right up front or there's no reason for them really to read because there's plenty of places people can find benefits. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Truth About Marketing. It's Kevin Rogers here. Thanks for joining me for another hot episode where we go deep with the, the real deal marketers and copywriters and business owners who actually make a lot of money with their advertising. Uh, get beyond the hype to the real story about how it all goes down. Thrilled to welcome my guest today, a longtime, proud to say, a friend and colleague, my man, David Deutsch. How you doing, David? I'm doing great, Kevin. It's great to be here with you. I appreciate you being on. I know you're a busy man. You've had a legendary career. Take us through some of the highlights. You you actually worked originally in agencies, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That was my first job in advertising was at Ogilvy and Mather. And it was kind of like working in a teaching hospital. You know, Ogilvy was always into writing books and teaching. So it was a very much a learning environment and just, you know, and, and such a great place to start, especially it was a great place to go into direct response afterwards because, you know, Ogilvy called direct mail his, you know, first love and secret weapon. Yeah. And so when you hired it, you started right in direct response. Even. I actually started in the typing center and worked my way out of there. Is that right? I, wow. I, I really hadn't even considered a, a career in advertising. No kidding. So had but, you gone to college? Did you have a degree to get that typing gig? Yes, I had a degree in music and mm. uh, in English. Interesting. Wow. And so, so were you just looking for any gig and ended up there or? Uh, yeah, pretty much. You know, I think I was, I was doing, I think it was temporary work. Wow. And they said, oh, here, we got a spot for you, you know, at this, it's this ad agency. And I thought, oh, ad agency, that's, you know, vaguely interesting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I said, well, as long as I'm here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> see what they're sending out around here. Yeah. See what they're sending out around here and see what I could do. And, you no know. No kidding. So, so w what was the moment where you went, wait a minute, uh, maybe I could do this? You know, I don't know if there was a moment so much as it just, it seemed like fun. Mm -hmm. You know, to be writing commercials and, you know, do, I don't know what possessed me to get into long copy because it was so nice to just write a one minute commercial or, right. you know, like a, a page ad, but it's not much copy. It's mostly pictures and things. Right. But yeah, it just, it seemed like it would be fun to do. And, you know, it was, I had a great time. Did you do more agency style work for them? You know, more visually driven stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Of course it was more, you know, print and stuff. Although the department I worked in also did a lot of what they called collateral type things. Yeah. So we, we did everything from, you know, trade materials to direct response, you know, which was my first exposure to that. We did a guidebook to Bermuda, which was a lot of fun. Mm. Did you have to go to Bermuda for- I uh, did have to go to did Bermuda. Did you really for yes. actual research, get some sand yeah. in your toes? I did. I did. Very cool. That's, there was a great lesson there too. The, the guy that was running it said, when you go and you go to these hotels and places, 
he said, look for the grandfather clock in the foyer. You know, in other words, find some detail about mm. each each place. Don't just write general stuff yeah. about it. In journalism, they say, get the name of the dog. Oh, there you go. I like that. Yeah, you know, what my moment was, where the first time I went, wow, that looks like the greatest job ever, was a movie with Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason called Nothing in Common. Oh, I remember that. Remember that movie? And, yeah. And Hanks was like the creative director at some agency. And they, you know, I, I thought, wow, just sit up, you know, and throw pencils at the ceiling, brainstorming all day. <laughs> that seems like a great gig. I could do that. <laughs> and then, you know, I took a college course of all things in copywriting. Can you believe that there's even a thing, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was hilarious because it, it was much more agency, you know, style work, but I loved it. I loved the assignments. And, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, it seems like you can't freelance quite as well in that world as you can the way we're used to it. Yeah, it is. It is a lot easier with what we do. Yeah. So you are a direct response copywriter. You work primarily now, you, you're known as one of the, you know, legendary copywriters in our business, having the most controls with several agencies. What, what is your claim to fame with, with Boardroom, for instance? Well, there was a point where I had like six plus controls in the mail at one time. Wow. Incredible. So at there, time. There, there that, are people that have more controls than I do. I'm not sure anyone had quite so many in the mail at one time. So that's exciting. And so is it, uh, and just so anybody's listening doesn't understand a control ad means the, the ad that's currently earning the most money, you know, when it's sent out, we're talking about mail ads and letters that go out to people's homes and collect orders. And every uh, publisher is always trying to knock off the control ad. So they're hiring other writers to try to beat the control ad. And so David, when you're rocking, walking around with six controls, is that just like make six times the paranoia <laughs> that they're going to go away? Or is it like, can you actually sit back and go, you know, I'm going to take a day off. I'm going to walk can, in the park. Yeah. You know, you can sit back. You can sit back a little with boardroom too is great about, I mean, not, you know, testing something against you like instantly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They'll let your control breathe for a while while it's fresh and, yeah. you know, They'll make an effort to start knocking it out, you know, knocking, knocking it down in a year or two, but they have to, because that's how you make money is not to let anything get tired. Right, They'll also right. let you test against your own control, which is great. Do yeah. new covers. Was that something you preferred? It's like, okay, because, you know, you've done the work, the, the, the research, all the pain and agony of getting the control ad made. And now it's just kind of easier to come up with a new headline in the shower or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, the headline and the lead is a good part of what makes an ad successful. Right. Okay, cool. So again, thanks for, for being on, man. Always love our time together. You're, you're one of the people that I kind of pinch myself to to call a friend and you've given me a lot of amazing advice, you know, personally and professionally. So I, I really appreciate that. And um, I, I'd love to hear David, because, you know, you've been, you've been at this decades now, but you're also a guy who's really hip and you know, on top of who the the new people are and what they're doing and and how sales funnels work online, what are the things that you see working best and the most broken in advertising today? Oh God, that's quite a, a range of a question. You know, things that are working are different kinds of funnels. For instance, Ryan Levesque's Never heard sur- of survey funnel. <laughs> Yes, Ryan Levesque, who wrote- I thought the, you were serious for a second. I thought, <laughs> oh, okay, how am I going to handle this? 
He wrote the book Ask and is yeah, he he's he's just on fire. Had an amazing he was he was the the it man, the it boy of 2015. Predict, yeah. very uh, nothing. I don't think we'll even hear from him in 2016, but uh no, I'm kidding. The guy's amazing and he's he brings a very, you know, scientific approach to advertising and but he's also a very creative guy. Yeah, he really does. And I, I think that comes from his background as a neuroscientist. And, right. You know, as a quant, I, you know, in the, inve- I don't know if he was a quant per se in the investment world, but he certainly was in the investment world and knows numbers. And right. he, he's kind of taken those two skills and applied them to marketing in a very, in a very brilliant way. Yeah. 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 Very cool guy. And so, uh, yeah, and he has the survey funnel. Is that something you've, you've been a part of implementing? Yeah. Yeah. He and I work together on a project, which is, you know, going great guns right now. And, you know, so I've seen, I've seen how powerful it is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to, I'm not going to tell him you called him a quant. Okay. (laughs) I just like throwing, I like throwing around that word. I like saying quant, you know? (laughs) And, uh, what is one thing that, um, you see like a mistake, you know, over and over and you just want to go, oh, how can this still be happening, you know, decades later? You know, I think there's two things with a lot of the writers that I coach and work with. One is just not making the copy be interesting, Hmm. you know, just putting words on the page. Right. And, you know, it's an easy thing to do. I mean, I I do that myself if I'm not careful because I just want to get this done. I want to get this written. Right. And, you know, but you've got to be able to then look at your copy and read it as if you didn't write it. Read it as if you're the reader, the prospect. Right. And look at it and say, this just isn't interesting mm. uh, because it's not a magazine article. You know, people aren't going to read it just because it's there. You've, you've got to really pull them into it. And you've, you've got to be, you know, singing and dancing and, and waving, you know, <laughs> benefits in their face and, and promises and scaring them and angering them and, and doing all sorts and, and fascinating them mm. so, to, to get them in and keep them there. And you just see writers that just don't make that effort. It's, almost, it's, it's not like, you know, a lot of writing, I think, is just ruthlessness. I think it's ruthlessness with yourself mm. in terms of putting the, the time and energy into something. And it's ruthlessness with saying, this isn't good enough. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is the standard that a lot of people don't, don't uphold. And I, if you think about the greats, you know, yourself, Clayton Makepeace, John Carlton, Gary Bensavenga, certainly Gary Halbert, there was that relentlessness with high quality. You know, those famous stories of, of Halbert reading his ads to, to, you know, drunks in a bar. Yeah, exactly. And if, if they said, wow, that's, that's a really well-written ad, He'd, he'd throw it in the garbage. It, the only acceptable answer was, where do I get one of those? Yeah, I mean, I, I see people that write copy and I, I they haven't shown it to their wife. They haven't shown it to anyone. Right. You know, you don't, you don't need me to tell you it's boring. Show it to someone, they'll right. tell you it's boring, you know? <laughs> right, right. So there's that. And, you know, then there's also what I find a lot of people do is just pile on benefits Mm-hmm. They just feel like if they can pile on enough benefits, then they're going to, the scale that they've got in their mind is going to tip and the prospect will buy. Right. They've and bombard they, them. Yeah. 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 And they, they just leave, they, they just don't realize that the more you pile on benefits, the more there's resistance, the more there's need for proof. Mm. You know, I mean, you can tell someone I can make you $10 million, but if you prove to them that you can make them a thousand dollars, 
you know, they'll pay $49 for your product. Right, right. So it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's the amount, you know, there's always that, that balance between proof and promise. And some people don't realize if you really dial down the promise, you can dial up the proof a little bit if you've got something very powerful. But then if you, my instinct would be, well, if I dial down the promise, is it going to then fall into that boring category? Well, boring is a, is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, boring is more just keeping someone's interest mm-hmm. because you're entertaining them, the you're, actual, you're provoking the, their curiosity. Right. I mean, certainly there's an element of, I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, using the word sex. Mm-hmm. You know, sure, you can use the prospect of making a million dollars to get someone's attention. Right. But then you've also got skepticism and some other things, you know, coming in there. That's interesting. Can, can you, I'll put you on the spot. And if you don't, if you can't come up with it, that's fine. We can, we can edit this out or something. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but can you come up with an example of a time where you f- faced that scenario where you, you said, you know, there's just too much promise here and I got to back that down. And then kind of, would that mean changing the headline, changing the, the lead? You know, at what point do you make that shift in the copy? Well, I mean, it could be anywhere, but the the most important place is up front. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in investment, you know, claiming a million dollars, making a million dollars becomes unbelievable because there's so much stuff out there. So it becomes more of a challenge to break it down a little bit and say things like you can make $300, you know, $500, extra $500 a week. Right. So while everyone else is saying, you know, you know, make this stock, it's going to go to the moon and you're going to make this, you know, to be able to say you can increase your income by, you know, $500 a week, you know, with this investing plan or something like that. Right. All of a sudden, that's, that kind of seems doable and reasonable. Right, right. Yeah. I, I've been a part of ads where, you know, I've actually, I don't say dumbed down, but fractioned off the actual result so it feels more tangible. Yeah, that's a great way to put it too, is, is, you know, what you call fractioning off. Yeah, you you can do the math a lot of ways. And like you said, $500 every other week or whatever, sounds like, you know what? I can actually see that coming. I can see that number. Or if you're talking about, you know, $1,200,648, people are going, no, I've I've never seen a million dollars. I don't know what that would, that's not me. Yeah. That's for other people. <laughs> you know, if you if you break down really a great promotion, you know, like End of America, say, mm-hmm. and you really look at that, it's like the whole thing is just proof. Yeah. It's just like proof after proof after proof. And there's not a lot of claims in there either. Mm. So he never says, oh, you're going to make so much money. He just says, look, there's, you know, some bad things are going to happen. You got an opportunity to protect yourself and your family from these bad things economically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can show you how to make some money at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, doesn't it make sense that if you know this is coming, you can make some money? He never says you make a killing. You know, he never says, I don't think he ever even promises specific returns. Yeah. Interesting. It's all very reasonable. Right. Right. Yeah. So it kind of comes down to problem solution ultimately. It does. It does. And, you know, that's, that's something, as you know, that I, I've, I've been looking at mm-hmm. lately, you know, just again, in trying to figure out what's a shortcut to getting people to write better. What's a shortcut to getting, because I'm very lazy. I don't, I don't like to write. I don't like to, I don't like to do a lot of work. I like to, to find things that I can change in someone's promotions, in someone's copy, that's going to like have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I find a lot of times is that there is no problem solution. 
you in know, the, in the ad, in the yeah, mm-hmm. you know, especially up front. Mm. So it's kind of like you know we 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 hear that you know it's one of the first things we learn the problem solution approach. You got to right. have a problem, you got to you know make it worse, and then you got to solve it. And yet you look at advertising sometimes. You look at some things that people write or some things that companies use to promote their products and themselves. And there really is no problem. You really haven't left me with enough of a, because really, you know, to get someone to read something, to get someone to order something, you've really got to kind of give them a problem Yeah, that you can solve. You want them squirming, right? Just like, oh God, please. Okay. You're so, so, so in the pain of it that they're just begging you to please come with the solution. Yeah. And, you know, even if the problem is not having the thing that you've got for them, or the problem is, you know, not earning enough money. Mm-hmm. You've really got to to do that right up front or there's no reason for them really to read because there's plenty of places people can find benefits. Yeah, right. You know, there's plenty of places people can find benefits of how much money they can make or what good health they can get. But if instead you can convince them of, I mean, End of America is a great example too because, you know, it, it's not quite as gloom and doomy as it sounds. Right. It's really just a, a, a very attention getting way of saying, hey, the dollar is going to lose its, you know, preeminence right. in world markets. And that's, that's got some tremendous implications for you and, and your portfolio. Well, now I've got a problem. This is going to happen and I'm not prepared for it. Right. Right. Which turned out to be a far more powerful thing than promises of how much money you can make. Right. On the next killer stock. Yeah, it's a great point. So I was going to say, it's the same thing with a lot of health stuff. Yeah. You know, you can promise relief from pain and relief from this and 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 all sorts of wonderful things but if you convince someone that they've got some toxins in their body that are newly discovered mm. or if you convince someone that they're do that there's something they're doing now that they're doing wrong then they've got a problem right and that's the basis of a lot of successful packages have been that that kind of, you know, presentation, like that that wonderful package that Paris did, Paris Lampropolis, of the, uh, what was it? I think Marcella Allison was the writer with him on it. If you were born between these years, between 1952 and 1980, you know, you've been exposed, you may have been exposed, you've been exposed to a toxin, which was commonly in use at the time, which could be affecting your health in blah, blah, blah ways. I mean, mm-hmm. that was like almost a copy on the envelope. Right. And that was so powerful because you were born in those years. Now you had a problem. Right, right. And you, yeah, it gets curiosity in there. How can you not at least look to see what it is? Yeah. And and instead of being one more detox package of some pill that helps you detox, you know, it was a, a powerful problem they had to solve. And it was tremendously successful because of that. See, now you bring up something really interesting about specifics, right? And as you were talking about the problem of there often not being a problem <laughs> presented. I'm thinking, you know, I think a lot of people uh, who might know better avoid being specific about the problem and agitating that pain because they are don't want to turn away someone who might not have that exact problem, right? So, so they lean more general in their descriptions of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, do you think that that might be part of the reason people do that? Yeah, I, I think in general, people aren't gutsy enough, you know, when it comes to that. Just, and, just, and, you know, it's a hard, I sympathize, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. To, to write off part, of, to, to think like you're writing off part of a market. Yeah. Because in reality, you don't. In reality, you attract other people anyway. Right. But to really write, spe- you know, writing specifically to an avatar, 
right. is kind of like that. I want to write to this woman with this problem. Yeah, it's like you know, in, it's, in, in it, saying about, about, about Paris's, uh, you know, headline, that is a, a pretty wide range of years, but you're being really specific. You're going, if you were born in 1979 or, or you know, whatever year on each side of that, you're going, yeah. forget it, toss it in the, yeah. the track. You got to write off some people that were born before then or after them, yeah. you know, but very powerful, you know, drugs no seniors should ever take. Yeah. It was a very powerful uh, headline for Boardroom that Lee Euler wrote. And, you know, you could say, oh, I don't know if I should say no senior, because then what about all the people who aren't seniors? We're not, it's not packaged, not going to be successful because we won't, you know, want to track them. Right. But that's the thing is like, you have to speak as powerfully as you can to your avatar. And so mm-hmm. like, you do the research to find out who is this really for? Who can we help the most? Who is this created to help the most? And then how do we reach that demographic? And then go all out to make sure that they understand the problem, feel the problem, and really need the solution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a mathematical thing, too, to some extent. Yeah. You know, it's that that idea of you can get 1% of a million people to buy, or you can get, you know, maybe... 20% of 100,000 people, you know, right. and the the 20% is twice as much of 100,000 is, I think, I don't know, the, um, my math is off, I'm sure by a zero somewhere, but you're no, um, you're no it's, quant. It's, yeah, it's twice as much as 1% of, you know, a million. Right. And so why not do that? Why not take 20% of 100,000? Right. And be- or 30% of 10,000 or, well, you can't do 300%, can you? Okay. The math falls apart at a certain point, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I do. Ultimately, you want a hundred thousand, you know, you want a hundred thousand customers. doesn't matter whether you get them from a pool of a million or a pool of, you know, less than that. Right. Right. It's all about being targeted and twisting right. your, your knife. Your message becomes more and more powerful as it, you know, is applicable to less and less people. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good stuff. All right, David, let's get to the essential question of the show. Now, with so much experience, so many campaigns you've been a part of, I'm fascinated to hear your answer to this question. So what is the one thing you've done in your marketing that produced the most surprising results? Okay. Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is is I'm always surprised by results. I'm always surprised when things work because by the time you're done with the package, it's like, you know, it's never the package you started out to write, right? You always right. Start out. Even if you have a clear idea when you start out of what the package <laughs> is going to be, somehow it never is that. <laughs> and it's never as good as you really had planned on it being. So the fact that, that things work is always to some extent ex- astonishing to me. Right. Then, then, of course, I come back in a year or two and I read it again. I go, wow, who wrote this? This is good. <laughs> some genius. <laughs> some genius wrote this. <laughs> Can I ever be this good? (laughs) So, you know, results to me are always to some extent surprising. But, you know, I think one of the most one of the most surprising results was a package that I did that this was a boardroom package. And it was um, it had these arteries on the on the cover. And it was like the first it was the first package. A lot of people have kind of taken this since then. But it was the first package that had, you know, the before and after of the arteries. So it had the clogged arteries. Mm, yeah. And it had the unclogged arteries. Mm-hmm. 
And boy, the people at boardroom were really like, you know, Mike, oh, this is gross. And they were right. It was gross. It was, you know, a, a sliced open. I mean, it was a nice oh, was medical a, illustration, but right. still it was a sliced open, clogged up artery right. and a sliced open clean artery. And they, but, you know, of course, you know, boardroom to their credit tested it anyway, because they know that it doesn't matter what they like, doesn't matter what I like, doesn't matter, but even what prospect likes, it's what people respond to and send money because of. Right. And uh, it, that was the, the years and years that those arteries were the control. Wow. Interesting. And so, so boardrooms, you know, one of those companies where you didn't have to fight so hard for stuff. Cause I, you know, I know Brian Kurtz was running the show there with Marty at the time and he's very much about trusting the copywriter. Yeah, very much. I mean, boardroom was just a dream to work with. Mm. They treated writers well. They appreciated writers. They paid writers well. And, uh, they, uh, you know, they, they were smart when it came to direct response, mm -hmm. you know, Marty, Brian, Michelle and Carmen, you know, just really knew what worked, great editors and, you know, great to bounce ideas off and be willing to test things. Yeah, that is a dream. Uh, and what about, give me the other side of that. You don't have to name names, but what was it like, you know, when you felt like you were more in a combative scenario with, with a publisher? Yeah, you know, I don't know that I've ever felt combative so much. You know, I'm I'm pretty good at doing things that the client, like if the client wants something, has a certain idea or something, I'm pretty good at, you know, doing it in a way where it works. You know, at a certain point though, that starts to work against you where something becomes like a series of compromises. And before you know it, it's kind of gone in a 180 degree direction. Right. Or, or it, it, it doesn't have the singularity of purpose that mm. a piece needs to have. You know, my my feeling is that, and I've had pieces that have just gotten so off track just because, oh, the client wants to do this and then so we'll do this and then they'd like to have this in there. Okay, so I work this in and before you know it, it doesn't, it's not, see, I think pieces that work, I, a couple of things that I know a piece is going to work. One is when it makes the client nervous. Yeah. Then I know, okay, this is going to make, this is going to, this is going to work. Make the, just like that boardroom thing, right? Made mm. boardroom nervous. So mm. of course, you know, it's going to work. <laughs> And the other thing is that you can tell someone about it, you know, like, a, like a, a, what do you call it? A pitch, a soundbite, back of an envelope. Mm, right. Everything. It's going to do a program. It's called End of America. It's about how the dollar is, you know, not going to be the premier currency anymore, the implications that that's going to have and how you need to prepare for that and how you can also make a whole lot of money from it. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, I, we're gonna, and then we're going to prove the hell out of that. That's great. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's End of America, you know? That's a great um, point. Like a log line. Yeah. Like, you know, when you're, you're scrolling through Netflix and you're reading the log lines of, uh, of what the movie's about, you know? Right. Yeah. And, you know, promotions that aren't good, you can't do that with. Right. Like, well, you got to buy the stock because the, the thing, it's got like this. I am, uh, it's got to cut. And it, it just, and also the best writers are able to give that kind of a pitch when they're about to write. Right. You know, they'll say, like, you've heard Carlton go on like a rant, oh, yeah. right? Not not just for something he's writing, but you'll tell him what you're working on. Right. And he'll go, well, you got to just tell him that they're they just got to get off the couch and, and buy, because if they don't, their brother-in-law is going to hate them and their <laughs> wife is going to leave them. And, you know, he'll just, and oh, it's, yeah. I mean, I can't do it that well. It's a, it's a very articulate. Yeah, it's amazing. Like that, but he'll just encapsulate the whole thing in this emotionally powerful way. Yeah. 
And I, I just think that that's the, you know, people always like, you know, techniques and tricks for being a good writer. I think a lot of it is mindset. A lot of it is being able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it, then I think the writing just comes naturally once you can mm, do that, well, once you that's boil great, it down like that. That's a great point. And so, what do you think it's, uh, is it it's like a chicken and egg thing? So my coach copywriters, I talk a lot about, yes, great handwrite ads, do all that stuff, but it's your thinking what John calls critical mm-hmm. think that you need to develop, right? I mean, that's really everything. Yeah. And I think that's, you just sort of encapsulated what, what he's talking about, that his ability to rant off. I mean, per, I have literally transcribed a conversation like that with him and put it in an ad that we were working on together and had, right. had it kill, you know? But that's years and years and years of thinking, thinking, thinking. Or, you know, he talks about how Albert used to loop, would do that looping where he would just obsess on on, on an ad or, or a topic or a piece of copy. And people would say, you know, I don't know. He, he's told me the same thing four times. And, and <laughs> John would go, no, he's looping. He's, he's actually writing right now. That's why he's That's doing that. Great. I didn't realize that was what that was called. I mean, I, I, I had read recently and connected it to this about Halbert just kind of t- like he had to talk it out. Yeah, yeah. With people. He'd talk it out with this person and this person and this person. And what do you think of this? And I tell people to do that, like go before you write, sell the book you're working on, the product, like talk to someone about it Yes, in a way that makes them want it. And if you can't make them want it, you're not ready to write about it. That's great. People think, oh, the writing is different. I'll write it in a way that'll make them want it. But you've got, you've got to be able to sell it, you know, before you put pen to paper. That's right. And it's that moment where as you're describing it, so you're getting excited. You know, you can you can feel right. it physically, emotionally, and then you're pulling out facts just in the in their flowing. It's again what John calls stalking the desk. Like when you when you get to that part, it, sitting and writing isn't hard anymore. It's like let me at it. You know, you feel like a caged animal. You just want to bust loose and get going. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And that's I I think that's what a lot of writers miss in their copy. And the problem isn't a copy problem per se. I mean, yeah, you could look at it and you could go, oh, this word is not, you know, you need more action verbs. You need this, you need this, but really you need to get excited about it and you need to, you know, you need to talk the ad more than write it. Yeah. Great point. Well, this is good stuff, David. I want to respect your time. I appreciate you being with us. Let me ask one question about your process, if, if I might. I'm always fascinated with this very idea we're talking about of when, you know, it comes down to a writer being alone in the room you know, with the, with the, with the empty sheet of paper or the blinking cursor. Are you a guy who gets out the dirty version first? Can you write top to bottom and then go back and edit cold? Or are you, are you a fixer as you go? No, you know what my process is more because I don't like to write in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So I realized one day that the solution to that is to spend as little time actually writing as possible. Hmm. So I'll write like an outline. I'll start to flesh out the outline. I'll start to do little bits here and there. And, you know, I'll think things through and put some more bits, flesh it out a little more. And by the time I'm actually ready to sit down and write, I've pretty much written it already. Hmm. But I haven't per se sat down and actually wrote it. Got it. So your process is just what you said, sort of thinking it through almost talking it through to yourself or to other people and just making the writing just, yeah, it's just like a formality at that point. Right. Mm, Really interesting. Great. You know, I think another trick too that I use sometimes and I I think would be great for people, so I'll, I'll share it if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Is it's similar to that in a way, 
but it's not using the outline structure. It's, it's using a more condensed cell, like a pitch, really. So before you sell it, sit down and write a letter to your mother or someone you care about that sells this. Mm. Like, mom, here's this thing I'm working on. It's this great book. And if you get it, you know, it's going to blah, 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 blah. And, you know, do that in a paragraph or a page, you know, whatever, two paragraphs. And then take that and make it a couple of pages. And then take that and make it into a long form sales letter. So that when you've got it now, it's not 30 pages of you trying to find your way. It's a nice terse pitch, which has been expanded to 30 pages. Mm, right. That's, you know, that's very different. Yeah, exactly right. And you mentioned length. When you say 30 pages, I, you know, I know you're kind of using numbers at random, but when it comes to long copy, you know, you've heard the rule, it'll be as long as it needs to be to sell the product. Right. Is that pretty much the rule you follow? I don't know that I'd say that exactly. There's a lot of psychological implications for long copy. Mm -hmm. I think something can be sold, you know, and this comes down to, you know, when people say, is it better to, you know, begin with a story or not? Is it better to do this or not? Well, you know, short copy can work, I think, for things and long copy can work for things. Mm -hmm. It depends on, on how it's done. If it's long, there are certain requirements then that it needs to have. If a copy, if it's short, other requirements. Just like if you begin with a story, there are certain requirements that you have to do to make that work. If you don't begin with a story, well, you should probably have something else that's interesting to begin with. Mm -hmm. So there's certain other requirements. And so what would determine whether you're going to write a, a long or short ad going in? You know, when you're working with a publisher, do they say, well, you know, we want this to be about a eight to 12 page letter. Yeah, well, sometimes the format is predetermined. To yeah, some like a magalog like or boardroom. something. Yeah, yeah, like a magalog or, or something like that. You know, the other aspects, one, one of the reasons I kind of blanched a little bit when, when you said it, long enough to sell it, mm -hmm. you know, there's, an, there's another dimension to that too, which is sometimes there's a certain heuristic that people have, right? That if there's a lot to say about something, it must be more valuable or more valid than if there's not a lot to say about something. So there's a certain reassurance that comes from long copy. Mm -hmm. Whether people read it or not, they're like, oh, you know, okay, it's it's there. There's a lot to say about this thing. Yeah, and I, I think health and finance are two markets where that's probably pretty predictable. Right. Yeah. Have you ever written an ad and said, I, I think I'm I think the pitch is complete, but it's just too short? <laughs> 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 I got to go add 20 pages to this, even though it's done. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of like, like, as I said, it's like, I, I don't know that this has the critical mass, mm -hmm. you know, the heft, the gravitas mm -hmm. in terms of, of volume to really, you know, sell this thing. Interesting. And then, of course, you have to be careful you don't pad it. You know, you got to put interesting sidebars and all sorts of fun stuff. Right. Great stuff. Don't just make the damn type bigger, you know. <laughs> That's right. Why is this in 16-point font, David? Because <laughs> I ran out of things to say. <laughs> That's like the comedian who goes into the crowd. So where are you from? Oh, boy. <laughs> We're out of material. Red alert. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been fun. I really appreciate you doing this for us. You're a legend in the business. You're still very active in the business. I know you're doing a lot more coaching and consulting now. Who Who's the kind of person who should come seek uh, David Deutsch's you know, advice or mentoring? Well, you know, I work with in two ways or the people I work with are two different kinds of people. One is is writers, 
you know, who want to get to that A level, up their game, you know, get the bigger clients, you know, the boardrooms, the information publishers, the people like that. Mm-hmm. The other is I work a lot with with clients who either have in-house copywriters or outside copywriters and kind of work with them, work with the the writers that they use to as kind of an in-house, out-of-house creative director. Right. Looking over copy, mentoring the writers, training, improving copy, editing copy, just just basically trying to leverage, you know, their existing resources. Yeah. That's great. I've been privileged to be part of some of those circumstances. And it's uh, just a, a great thing to hear. We're going to have David look at the copy. <laughs> because <laughs> it is, because I mean, as a copywriter, you your ego needs to die early in your career. It's really true, you know? And it's, so, yeah. to, so to know that, you know, let me preface that by saying the worst thing a client could do to you is show, run your copy by other copywriters behind your back. Right. And, and then pretend that all their millions of opinions and suggestions are actually theirs. That's uncool. But for a client to say, we're going to go to the best and have them look this over and get their feedback, you're like, oh, yes. I mean, for a writer, it's the best of both worlds. It's like getting your coaching, but on a specific project, right? It just raises the quality for everyone. So I think it's awesome that you, you're, you're in a place in your business where that's what you're doing because- you're affecting a lot of lives and businesses positively. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I I certainly enjoy doing it. It's very gratifying to to take something that's not working and make it work. Or yeah, yeah, without having to stare down the blinking cursor. Wait, without having to actually <laughs> write the thing myself. Right? <laughs> uh, so David L. Deutsch dot com. It's D E U T S C H. David Deutsch. Thanks so much for being with us. I hope we can do this again. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to do it anytime. Thanks, pal. We'll talk soon. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in, click review, leave a big old fat five-star review, and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash TAM, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro, do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.